Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the first Sunday of February. It always smells really good in here on the first Sunday of each month. Um, I always I heard something kind of humorous this week. It kind of goes along with that. This uh, this amateur photographer one time was invited to dinner with some friends, and so uh, he took along some of his pictures to show them. And uh, the hostess looked at the the photos that he had brought and and co- made the comment. And said, these are very good. You must have a good camera. The photographer didn't make any comment. But as he was leaving the home after the evening of wonderful food and fellowship, he said to, the, he said to her, that was a really delicious meal. You must have some very good pots. <laughs> I know here at AMC we have some very good cooks. It's not the pots, of course. Uh, and so... Uh, they deserve well, uh, deserve the credit for how wonderful our first Sunday fellowship meals are here at church. We're starting a message series today on the life of Elijah, which you heard me talking to the kids earlier about. Most of his story is told in 1 Kings 17, beginning in 1 Kings 17, and going to 2 Kings chapter 2. But his name is mentioned many other times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Along with uh, being mentioned in Kings, of course, where most of the story takes place, he's also mentioned in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, which we just heard. Uh, And then in the New Testament, he is mentioned in the books of Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, and James. And of course, maybe, you know, probably in the New Testament, the best known uh, is that appearance that we heard from Matthew where he appears with Jesus and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, And uh, of course, I think Transfiguration Sunday is actually going to be coming up here, here not too long. And that was a big deal because it signified why Elijah is considered one of the greatest prophets of the, New, of the Old Testament. In John 1, when the, the priests and Levites went to, to ask John the Baptist who he was, their first question to him was, are you Elijah? And he told them he wasn't. But Jesus did, in fact, call John the Baptist the greatest prophet of the New Testament era. So you can kind of understand the comparison there, why Elijah's name is, is brought up. John, of course, the Baptist, prophesied and paved the way for Jesus' ministry. That's really a short and very concise context uh, to who Elijah was, but we're going to get to know him a lot better this month as we take a, a closer look at his life, and the example that his life can be for us today. Most of the scriptures I'm going to be sharing this month during this series are going to be from the New Living Translation, which is the NLT. And so uh, I'm also going to be sharing a lot of the verses that we're going to be looking at on the screen uh, as we go along this month, since some of you probably don't use or have that translation. But we begin in 1 Kings 17, where Elijah comes on the scene by making an announcement, a proclamation, or 
It is a prophecy, really, to King Ahab, who was the king of Israel at that time. So beginning in verse uh, 1 of 1 Kings 17. It says, Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years, or until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and encamped beside Kareth brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. What does it mean when someone says that somebody is on fire? We don't literally mean, of course, that they are on fire or that we need to, you know, get a fire extinguisher and and put it out. We mean that they are sizzling hot, that they're tearing it up, that they're on a torrid pace or maybe even doing something that's never been done before. They're on fire. Back in the 90s, I was a big fan of the Chicago Bulls and especially Michael Jordan, who still today, in my opinion, is, uh, has been or remains the most fun and exciting basketball player there ever was to watch. There are several times during his career that he was just doing things that were unbelievable and almost unexplainable on the basketball court. Today, Caitlin Clark, the women's player for Iowa, is doing some similar type, similar type of, of things. So this reaction that you see on the screen was a common scene when the announcers would, would comment about how Jordan was, he was on fire that night. And he would just, sometimes when that would happen, he would just shrug his shoulders like you see in the picture there. And as if to say, I don't know, I can't explain it. Some other ways to express that would be to say that someone is, uh, you know, if they're on fire, they're maybe passionate. They have a, uh, they are fervent. They're intense. They are gung ho. Maybe they're, they're lighting it up. They might say just yesterday on the, the PGA tour, professional golf, Wyndham Clark shot a 60, which was a course record for Pebble Beach. And the announcer, when at the end of his round, said that he was in the zone. And I thought, yes, that's another way to say that. They're on fire, they're, they're in the zone. So, you know, many times we associate fire with somebody or something being alive, somebody making an impact. That was Elijah, the prophet. Interestingly enough, fire becomes an important symbol in um, many of Elijah's life experiences. And we're going to see that over the next several weeks as we look further into his story. Um, But the one that ignites all of this, really, is the fact that Elijah was on fire for God. He was passionate about his faith. 
He was fervent. He was enthusiastic. He was intent. Wait till you hear next week what happens. And he was committed to the Lord. If he were to shrug his shoulders, he might do so and say, What do you expect? The Lord is my God. And that actually is what the name Elijah means. It means the Lord is my God. Or I am the person who has the Lord as my God. Hopefully his passion for the Lord is something that can inspire all of us uh, this month. to, To get on fire for the Lord as we look at his life. Along with being on fire for the Lord, he was also very committed to following the Lord's leading. And that's really what brings us to the start of the story. His story here in these first chapters, uh, first verses of chapter 17. Elijah goes to the very evil king Ahab and tells him that there's going to be this three year drought in the land in which there's not going to be any dew or, or rain. Now, this is a prophecy from God, and it was obviously something that was going to make King Ahab very upset. But let's look at how they got themselves into this situation in the first place. You know, if we go back to the book of Exodus, it was Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt and to the very edge of the promised land there in Canaan. He then, of course, uh, died on Mount Nebo before they were able to go into the promised land. And so it was Joshua who led them across the Jordan River and into Canaan with that first encounter around the walls of Jericho. The Old Testament then goes on through a time of the judges. And the Israelites decided at some point there that they want a king, just like the other people have kings. I mean, in many ways, the, the Israelites were, were saying, having the God of the universe is not enough. We want an earthly king. So God allows them to call Saul as their first king. Then, of course, comes King David after Saul. And then after King David comes King Solomon. You might say those were like the golden days of Israel. But then came Solomon's son, Rehoboam. When he became king of Israel, he turned the people against him. And he drove them really to a breaking point. This civil war started in the land. And it eventually divided the kingdoms in two. There was the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. There's a map on the screen there on the left side if you see what that looked like. So ten of the, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel revolted, revolted to the north. And only two of the twelve tribes stayed loyal to Rehoboam in the south. Which eventually became to, to, came to be known as Judah. So this story of Elijah takes place in the ninth century B.C. When the kingdom was divided. And he was a prophet that was sent from Tishbe to Samaria 
which was in the northern kingdom. And he was to deliver this judgment from the one true, only living God to King Ahab, who was a very evil, disobedient king of the north at that time. He was also married to the very evil queen Jezebel, which we've heard her name before, but that's, that's another story for another time. But because of their worship of the god Baal and their turning away from God, that is why there was, there was going to be no rain or dew in the land until God said so. So in many ways, Elijah was saying, you know, you worship this god Baal, the god of fertility. Well, let's see what your god Baal can do about this situation, you know. This is where we start to see how God is going to use what Pastor James Emery White describes as Elijah's fire. His, his unquestioning obedience to God. His absolute trust in God. And his boundless faith in God. So how, you know, how did those examples speak to us today and how we are going about life or how we are living our lives. It couldn't have been easy for Elijah to go before the king and share this devastating news with him. It's one thing I always admire about the prophets of the Old Testament. They had to do some hard things and they knew that the hard things they were going to do were not going to be accepted very well. He knew that King Ahab was going to be Furious with him. But Elijah was obedient. And he still followed through with what God had told him to do. Most likely if you were to ask someone. Especially a Christian today. You know if they wanted to be used by God. And if they wanted to do great things for the Lord. Their answer would be. Yes of course. You know. What do I need to do? Until they hear some of the changes. Or the challenges. Or the hard things that might be involved with that. Perhaps we are quick to say, you know, whatever the Lord wants me to do, I will do it. But does that hold water? What if it involves selling your house, moving to a different state or country, quitting your job and going to seminary? Forgiving someone who has offended you, helping the poor, or leaving Tishbe and giving an unpopular message to the king. Is our obedience to the Lord's leading unquestioned like it was for Elijah? To put it into perspective, maybe for us, you know, how many times has the Lord asked us to do something over the course of our life? And our answer was just, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Or you knew that you were supposed to do it, but you didn't. This is not only a lifetime commitment, of course, uh, to obedience. It is a daily commitment for us as followers of God and as Christians. So if you look back, you know, over the last 
24 hours, maybe the last week or something, you know, was there something you did that you knew that you shouldn't have done? Was there something that you said that you knew that you shouldn't have said it? I mean, have you been a loving Christian? Or did you tear someone down? Did you tell the truth in a situation? Or did you commit slander, maybe a lie? If someone audited your bank account, would they find obedience to generosity? You see, this, is an ex- this can extend to so many things in our life. And none of us are perfect at this, including myself. And that's why we need to constantly be thinking about our obedience to God. But the difference between unquestioning obedience and unbridled disobedience in our life can be life-changing. It can really set us on the course two different directions. Obedient, obedience, of course, leads you down the path of God's favor... And disobedience can lead to God's judgment, as we see in this situation with the king, Ahab. Elijah and the king are both really perfect examples of that, the opposite. You know, disobedience is what led King Ahab to this drought and famine in the land. And obedience is what led Elijah to trust in God's provisions for him. He trusted That if he went and delivered this message to King Ahab and followed what God told him to do, the Lord would provide for him even in the midst of that drought that he was talking about. I mean, that leads us to verses 2 through 6 then, where Elijah obeyed God and now the Lord is asking him to trust him in the days ahead. So, if you were Elijah... And, and God said to you, there's going to be this great depression and famine in the land that's, that's just ahead of us. So I want you to go out in the middle of nowhere, maybe the middle of Wyoming or somewhere, and, and live close to this stream in such and such county in, in Wyoming, And I will make sure that there's water for you there in that stream. And by the way, there's going to be these birds. They're going to come and they're going to bring you food every day. The food that you need for that day. What would your response be? I mean, would you put your absolute trust in that plan? Elijah did. And that's the second part of being on fire for God. His absolute trust in the care and the provision that God had for him. So you see how this fire is beginning beginning to build here. We start with obedience. But that obedience is going to require us to have trust. Too often, we don't obey... Because we don't have trust. You know, if we, if we knew that we could trust, we probably would obey much quicker a lot of times. 
In many ways, you know, those two, they really go hand in hand. Uh, Pastor White, he, he tells the story of a man who was having trouble doing what he felt God was asking him to do financially in his life. And it was, uh, it was concerning a, a specific discipline of generosity. And so this man said, I just, I don't see how this is going to work out. And so his friend said, he said, um, how about this? How about you try obeying God in this area for 90 days? And every month you give what you feel obeying God would be or would involve. And he said, if there's a month that you fall short, I will personally make up the difference. Would you try it then? Will you try it now? And the man said, well, sure. (laughs) His friend then said, do you realize what you have just said? You will put your trust in me, a mere man, but you will not put your trust in the God of the universe who created all that is. You know, when someone talks about trust issues, I guess, you know, that's what we're talking about when we mention that phrase. Do you trust the Lord like Elijah trusted the Lord? In all areas of your life. Or do we have trust issues? Pastor David Jeremiah says it this way. He says, instead of devoting ourselves to trying to meet all of our needs, the Bible tells us to devote ourselves to Him who can and will meet all of our needs. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and eternally. His divine power has given us all we need for a life pleasing to Him. So, you know, first Elijah showed obedience, and then he shows that trust, and then there was even more to this story, because eventually that brook dried up because of the drought. What was going to happen next? That's where we turn to verses 7 through 16. And this is what it says. But after a while the brook dried up. For there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah. Go and live in the village of Zarephath. Near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. And so he went to Zarephath. As he arrived the gates of the village, in the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her. He said, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar And a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. 
Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the container, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So Elijah shows up in this village that, you know, God told him to go to. He meets this widow that God arranged for him to meet. You would think that the widow is going to be the one that provides for Elijah. But no, she has nothing. Her and her son, it says, are down to their last meal. This is where boundless faith must fuel the fire. Elijah tells her to not be afraid. She's supposed to go home and watch how the flour and the oil are just going to multiply before them and provide for them each and every day. You see, Elijah is showing us what being on fire for God looks like. He obeyed. He trusted. And now he has faith that God will show up and be with them. You know, trust results in action, but it is faith that shows confidence in the action that is to come. You know, trust is something that you do. Faith is something that you have. We often talk about following Jesus and how radical that decision is. You know, to be a follower of Jesus is radical because of what it really calls us to. But this is radical as well. A life of obedience, trust, and faith in God is radical. But there's even more to this story. Listen to what happens next in verses 17 through 24. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. Same woman, same town. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. He took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times. And cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. 
Then the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Because of Elijah's prayer of faith, God raised the widow's son from the dead. Now that that would take faith, no matter when and how it happened. But what makes Elijah's faith even more impressive here is that this is the very first resurrection from the dead in the Bible. God had never done that before. Which means that Elijah had never heard of God doing anything like that before. Never before had it entered anyone's mind to pray a prayer like this and expect someone to come back to life. Elijah's faith in God was not bound to human explanations. It was boundless. And yes, it sure helped, of course, that that he was just on fire for God to begin with. So... As we think about us today in our lives, where is your obedience to God's leading at this time? Where is your trust in the provisions of Jesus these days? And how is your level of faith? Is it bound to, you know, certain examples of proof that you have to have? Or is it boundless? And, and believing that God can do miraculous things in your life. These stories from Elijah's life remind us that it begins with obedience, which leads to trust, which builds our faith in the Lord. Think about that in relation to Jesus. What he has done for us. Think about that in relation to the cross and what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the empty tomb. And the grace that he bought for us. The eternal life in heaven that he has secured for us. You see, when when we move from just saying we believe... To living as a believer, something wonderful happens in our life. We catch fire. We are excited to proclaim to others what that the Lord is my God. And so my prayer as we begin this journey with Elijah is that our testimony as we head out into this world this week and in the weeks that follow would be A testimony of obedience to God, trust, absolute trust in God, and a a boundless faith that believes. Next Sunday, um, we're going to look at an event in Elijah's life that it's probably the best known story from his days as a prophet. Because he is going to take on hundreds of... Of Baal's prophets at the top of Mount Carmel. So I hope you'll be here next Sunday to hear what happens with Elijah and those prophets of Baal. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for the example Elijah is for us. We pray, Lord, that um, we too could have this unquestioning obedience that he had, the absolute trust he had as you told him to do this and go here and go there. And, and uh, he, he did what you said, Lord, and he trusted you were going to provide. And then the boundless faith that he shows to us, faith that he could even pray over a, a dead boy and raise him to life when nothing like that had ever happened before. Lord, help us to have that kind of faith. Help us to pray to you and ask for things that are just humanly maybe impossible. But we know that with you they are impossible. Lord, help us to be obedient. Um, We know a lot of times what we are supposed to do and what you have called us to do. Sometimes, Lord, our shortcoming is just doing it. Or doing what you have asked us to do. Lord, we can't say yes to everything in, in life and in this world. We know a lot of times we have people telling us to say no more often. But Lord, before we say no, let us pray over it. And let us be sure that it is not something that, that you have called us to. Or that you are telling us to do. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to you and help us to trust that you will provide everything we need in this life with whatever you call us to. And may our faith testify to that. Lord, we pray over the meal that we are going to share together in the time of fellowship here today. We uh, thank you for all the wonderful cooks and the people we have in this congregation that, that bring those wonderful dishes every month. We pray your blessing over that time and thank you for those times that allow us to be a church community and to fellowship and catch up with each other. And Lord, I pray that as we go forward from today, we would um, encourage each other to live out these examples that Elijah has shown us here today. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has shown us so much and given us so much. And all God's people said, Amen.